Welcome to part two of Running with the Giants, everybody. Hey, we're going to jump right in, but if you missed last week, we're really kind of launching into this series, Running with the Giants. And the, the premise of this series is that there is a chapter in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11, where it goes through and it lists, this, it lists all these wonderful people of the faith, and people just like us, really, ordinary people, but have these epic stories of how they did amazing things to bring glory to God. And so we're going through some of those characters, some of those people, and looking at their story and what it means for us today. But right after Hebrews chapter 11 comes Hebrews chapter 12 that has this amazing opening verse to this chapter that clues us in, and it's our theme verse for the series. It says, therefore, since we've got all these wonderful people, these stories of the faith to encourage us, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run, run with perseverance this race marked out for us. And we learned last week that the Bible calls our life a race. It's a consistent theme throughout scripture that that we're on this race. And from the vantage point of heaven, it's like we're on this track, we're in our lane at our time. And and this series kind of answering the question of what if some of these heroes, these giants of the faith came out of the stands and ran a lap with us? What would they say? What, how would they coach us up? What would their encouragement be? So today we hear from our first person, our first hero of the faith, the first giant of the faith, Noah. Noah. Now let me give you just a little bit of history as it relates to Noah and the Bible. One thing we're trying to do is give you a little bit of context and history. So each person we're studying, we've put them in chronological order throughout, throughout history. And that's why Noah is the first. He's the earliest person that we're going to study in this series. And the Bible shows us that the history of the earth goes thousands of years deep. It's not billions of years. It's not millions of years. It's not hundreds of thousands. It's not even tens of thousands. The earth is young. It's thousands of years old. And God created it thousands of years ago. And you can go and study that. And you can hear from scholars who have... Um, investigated the scriptures to, to find that answer, and they've counted genealogies, and, and, and they kind of, some of them will have a conviction about their number, but what's fascinating is you don't see like thousands, and then another person says tens of thousands. No, they're all pretty close. They're all right, right in that number, and where does Noah fit into the timeline? Noah is 10 generations, 10 generations of descendants after Adam. And at this time, the earth has a uniqueness about it in its condition um, that the earth will be restored back to, we learned about this in the You Asked For It series when we talked about heaven, is that the earth is going to be restored back to that condition, that pre-sin condition, and heaven is actually going to come down to earth, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And in this pre-sin condition, the earth needed no rain. And that's why we see at this point in history, people living hundreds of years. Noah lived 950 years. He didn't even start having kids until he was 500. And some of you are like, that sounds like a good idea. And uh, he had three sons. He didn't start building the ark until he was 600 years old. And maybe you say, and I can even see it on some of your faces right now, that's a fairy tale. I'm supposed to buy into that? Like we're going to 
we're going to do this, really? You may just say, that's impossible. I mean, this guy lived that many hundreds of years. Yes, it's possible. And you need to understand something about the condition of the earth then, and I don't have time to really dive into it, but without sickness and disease and the earth still being in that state, people's bodies were healthy for a long time. Noah's grandfather was Methuselah. He's the oldest guy who ever lived, 969. And in this condition of the earth, it needed no rain. It was fed by natural springs. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And we'll experience it, see it in the new earth. But this is what Noah is experiencing. They're experiencing this beautiful, amazing environment, but wickedness is growing on the earth in horrible ways. And this is where we pick up with the Noah account. And he's living in this amazing environment, but it's being overrun with wickedness. And through the flood, God destroys the whole earth with a worldwide flood. It wasn't a flood in one location. It was a worldwide flood to judge the earth and to destroy that wickedness. And after that, you see diminishing lifespans. You know, Moses, he lived for 120 years, and, and you start seeing the lifespans that we see today. From that point on, the earth needed no rain, or it needed rain. And maybe you say, Rylan, this, this is a battle for me. I don't, I don't know if I can buy into this. The Garden of Eden, the flood, the animals, the boat, an earth that's thousands of years old, not billions of years old. My goal today actually really isn't to get into an apologetic message defending the flood. That's not the purpose of this particular series. But I will tell you that there is so much out there that can help you if you're struggling to buy in and believe what the Bible teaches about history. Like some people say biblical history, like it's another set of history. No, biblical history is just history. It's the history of creation. It's the history of mankind. And if you're struggling, if this is a weight that's holding you back, from fully buying into the Bible, fully following Christ, you need to do what this New Testament verse teaches and throw off that weight. And you need to do some study. I could point you in a couple directions. Answers in Genesis, it's a website, a corporation, they have tons of material that approaches this from a very scientific, reasoning point of view that is just absolutely amazing. They're the corporation that built, they duplicated the ark in Kentucky um, to the specs that the Bible says, and then they turn the inside, they've, they've got three floors just like the ark would, and then they turn it into a museum. My wife and I went there back in August, and I tell you, I walked out of there, and I remember saying to my wife, we're not crazy. In fact, after I walked out of there, I will even, I could even boldly say this, that whole ark thing isn't even far-fetched. It's not. It's how it happened. It's amazing. Everything we experience and see in the world has been affected by a flood. And if it's been affected by a flood, we got to be here somehow. And that's how it happened. And I just encourage you to just go and just get this weight thrown off. And, and if you choose to go to the exhibit, maybe that's a summer vacation thing. That's awesome. The exhibit's beautiful. They, the lighting's amazing. They illuminate it with floodlights. I've got a ton of those, and I promised a few people I would not launch into them, so I'm going to keep going. Back to, back to running with the giants. Noah comes out of the stands. He's on the track with us, and he has one chance to encourage you. This is what he would say. Write this down. Just open up your heart. Receive this message today. If Noah could tell you one thing, he would say that when you wonder if your life really counts, one person can make a difference. This message is for every person who wonders if their life counts. 
Maybe you say, I had a calling on my life at one time. I had a purpose for my life. I had a mission. I messed it up. Maybe you say, I missed my opportunity. I'm too old now. Maybe you say, I've sinned too greatly. I can't bounce back from this. I think Noah would come along the track and say, don't stop running your race. Don't forget that your life matters. Every person, even one person can make a difference. Let's study it together. Genesis 6, 5 through 8 says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth has become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind from whom, whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Maybe you say God is mean. Maybe you say the God of the Old Testament is just cruel, that he would wipe everyone from the face of the earth. You know what's interesting about that is throughout the New Testament, it says there's a day of judgment coming. God is for you. He loves you. He died on the cross so you could be a child of God. But there's another motivation to get your heart and life right before him. And that is that there's a day of judgment coming. And Jesus talked about it. Peter talked about it. In fact, when they both talk about it, they reference the flood and Noah. And it's a reality that, that we're headed into the same condition that the earth, the wickedness of the earth was in before the flood. But it's amazing how the grace of God just pops up everywhere. I wish you'd circle this sentence here, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I was going to wipe out everybody. Ah, but I just can't get past this one guy. Circle that statement, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the verse I want us to be motivated by. I think Noah would come along and say, let me tell you why one person can make a difference, why I believe that. He would say, because I did. God was ready to give up on everybody, but he found one person who could make a difference. Let me tell you why I want you to hear that. Because we could go ahead and just live our life, Rockbrook Church, not thinking this way. Too many people just settle into the idea that, well, I'm just not going to add anything to the wickedness. I'm not going to add any wickedness, but I'm not going to really do anything about it either. And we can have a tendency to start thinking, I'm just going to run my race, keep to myself, do my thing, and then call it good. And I'm just speaking to myself for a minute that if I'm not careful, I can fall into this tendency of just, I'm just going to do my thing, raise my kid, be a good husband. But really, it's all about me, and God wants me to make a difference. Let me show you how you can make a difference. Three things all of us can do to make a difference. Number one, you can make a difference for your family. You can make a difference for your family, and I'm going to define that word family for you in a minute. Genesis 7-1, the Noah story gets going, and it says, The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you. And the you is the person he found favor with. It's fascinating. It never says that he found favor with the whole family. It says he found favor with Noah. And God let the way he was living affect Noah's whole family. Because he found Noah righteous, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. That's an important idea. You need to understand that when your life changes, it makes a difference in the people around you. Your life is already affecting those closest to you, either positively or negatively. 
Your health is affecting those closest to you, the way you handle stress, the words that you say, the things that you let into your mind and your life. What you believe is not a just private personal choice. What you believe affects your family. Look at this verse in the New Testament on the screen, Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus, Apostle Paul said, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. That's not saying that if you pray the prayer, your family gets in too. That doesn't mean you can pray another family member up, that you can make a faith decision for them. It means that if you believe in Jesus and get saved, your salvation will impact and influence those closest to you, your sphere of influence. And you need to be thinking that way. Your salvation isn't just about you. And oftentimes you ask people about their faith and they're like, "Uh, that's a personal decision. That's just me and God. The Bible doesn't see it that way. Jesus said, let your light, your salvation shine out before men. Be salt, add value to your environment. Shine some light in the darkness. He says, live a life that it impacts the people around you. You know, that's one reason we're doing baptisms today. People are coming forward. They're being a light. They're saying, I've made this decision. I've dedicated my life to God and his purposes. And they're making a public expression of that in their sphere of influence. Make a difference in your sphere of influence. Sociologists say that your sphere of influence is about 12 people. 12 people in all. And the way they figure that up is that if you add up all the time you spend with people and you add it up over the course of a week, that becomes your sphere of influence. Anyone, all that time put together, and then anyone you spend an hour or more combined with in a week is your sphere of influence. And what's amazing is no matter who they do that test on, it comes back to be 12 people, 12 to 17, 17 at the most. But for most people, they spend a combined hour a week or more with 12 people. And I just think that's amazing because I'm looking out over a room of people, five services, and I think about all the spheres that we can have an impact on. I think about the power of the church, and that's the power of the church. And I just think about all the spheres, and I pray that you make an influence in them because I don't have keys to your work. I don't have the fob that gets you into that building or onto that floor. And I don't sit at your desk, and I don't sit in your classroom, and I don't walk the halls of your school. And so, yes, bring your spheres of influence into church, and we'll preach the gospel, and we'll preach life and purpose and but you got to impact your sphere. I don't have that key. I don't have that fob. I don't have that access. You've got to go in and make a difference in your sphere of influence, and you can't. You absolutely can. Your sphere is watching you. They're watching how you respond. They are listening to you. They're leaning into your encouragement. Your attitude matters. I just want to wake somebody up here today. I feel like God's called me to say that to this service, to remind you, your attitude matters. It makes a difference for the positive or the negative. By the way, dads, if I can just encourage you and challenge you for a second, studies show that today, dads spend an average of seven minutes a day with their kids. 
And if you do the math, that's not over an hour a week. And so kids wouldn't even be in the sphere of influence in a lot of dads. So think about, who am I influencing? How and what can I do to influence them? Remember, your attitude matters. What you believe matters. Number two, you can make a difference for your generation. You have a responsibility to this time, to this day, in this age. The enemy's goal is to get you focused on just adding more to you. And, and if you're not careful, life just becomes only about what you can do to enhance your life. And, and God wants you to enjoy life. He doesn't have a problem with you having something nice. That's not, the, that's not the point I'm making. I'm saying don't forget it's about making a difference in your time. It is no accident that you are alive in 2017 in Cass County. It's no accident you're here today. God plans you to be alive right now. And don't forget it's about making a difference in your time. And if we're not careful, this can even happen as a church. We can just grow. You know, we're approaching our 20th birthday. And we could just get inwardly focused and say, we've done enough. We've grown enough. And churches, they'll start to say, come on, pastor, tell me something I haven't heard before. That's not the purpose of church. Purpose of church is that you're, you're sitting in the halftime locker room right now. And I'm giving you the halftime locker room speech. That's in my notes every week. This is my halftime locker room speech. And you're going to go back out onto the track and run your race. But if we're not careful, we just make it life about getting more for ourselves. And when we make church about knowing more and just getting more for ourselves, when we're really to make a difference in our generation. Let me illustrate this. When I was in middle school, I went to the eye doctor because I couldn't see things far away. And so I went to the doctor and I did the tests and everything and the, the whole bit. And he comes out and he tells me I'm nearsighted. And I was confused. I'm like, no, I can't see far away. And that's when I learned that that is the only medical profi- profession that names your condition for what you can do. They ought to name it for what your problem is. You don't go to the doctor with a broken arm and he comes out and tells you, your legs work great. So I'm nearsighted because I can't see the far. I take my glasses off and I can see me fine. I can see my notes okay. And I can see my bubble great. A lot of clarity here. But if you didn't make noise, I wouldn't even know you were there. And I don't want to live my life that way. And I've started thinking about that every time I put my glasses on in the morning. But Jesus says, open up your eyes, look around, open up your ears. It's not just about having clarity and and having everything neat in your bubble. Put your glasses on, look around you, make a difference in the people around you. And I don't want to live my life with my world in order and just say, well, I'm not going to add any wickedness to the earth and I'm just going to do my thing and I'm just going to stay in my lane and just run my race and everybody leave me alone and I'll leave you alone and we'll just finish this race. No, I'm going to make a difference. Acts 13.36 says, for when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. New Testament never says that someone died when it's referring to a believer. It says they fell asleep. Because a believer, when they die, don't even taste death. They're just instantly, they go to to be in the presence of God. 
And I tell you this to remove some fear and to get you to make a difference in your time so you can make a difference in your family, make a difference in your generation. And number three, you can make a difference for God. God's looking for somebody to enlist. He's looking for somebody to step up. And too often we sit in the stands and we say, no, everybody else, you run your race. I'm just going to send money. I'll stay here and pray. You go. You do it. We say somebody else is going to have to step up at work. Somebody else is going to have to witness to that person. Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking to empower that person who will step up. He's looking for somebody to enlist. Ezekiel 22.30 says the same thing on a negative, though. It says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. He says, I don't want to have to destroy it. I'm looking for somebody to step up. I found none. Noah might say, your generation is starting to look like the one I was living in, and you can't wait for someone else to step up. If nobody else on your row listens to this today, will you answer this call? Each week, we're going to have some parting words of encouragement from each person we study. And if Noah had some parting words of encouragement... First of all, he'd say, don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd. Chances are following God is going to have you going against the flow. And to be a difference maker, you have to be different. To be a difference maker, you have to be different. And the reason many of us don't make a difference is that we're not different. Can you imagine, Noah? Just imagine this with me for a second. There had never been rain And he's building a boat. He's being mocked. He's an outcast. And so it may have been easy for him to stay faithful to God immediately following his voice, but it took him 120 years to build that ark. Can you imagine how he felt at year 87? I tell you, I get some word from the sermon or in worship And it barely makes it a week with me. He made 120 years with that word. And so often we think that standing out in the crowd means doing something crazy, wearing something crazy, being totally original. When really standing out in the crowd means routine, consistent acts of faithfulness that everyone else has already given up on. I'll say that again. Standing out in the crowd is consistent acts of faithfulness that everyone else has already given up on. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd when others are gossiping. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd when you're at that movie and it's a lot worse than you thought and it's that awkward moment where do I stay or where do I go? Go. Don't be afraid when you're getting pressured at work to do something unethical, to be faithful and stand out in the crowd. I'm asking you to be a difference maker. I'm asking you to go against the flow. I'm asking you to make a difference. There's so many times looking back, I wish I wouldn't have been afraid to stand out in the crowd. I wish I would have been faithful in those consistent acts of faithfulness. I wish I would have made a difference. I remember in middle school, someone just getting made fun of, and it wasn't fun teasing. It was absolutely mocked 
and torn down and humiliated. And I didn't add to the wickedness. I didn't make a difference either. And now I'm a father. And I'm praying that if that's ever my kid, that someone will step up and make a difference. I remember years ago that I I just had a certain opinion about certain types of pastors and I joined in on gossipy conversations about them and now I'm a pastor. And now I've been the guy on on this end where motives are questioned or I'm misquoted or misunderstood or misrepresented or gossiped about. And it ain't gonna happen. I ain't gonna talk bad about a pastor now. I wish I would have stood out in the crowd before. I remember going through a season in life where I was just doubting and questioning my boss and my leaders and not following wholeheartedly, and now I'm in a leadership position where it includes making some hard decisions from a perspective not everybody else has. And it makes me wish I would have just trusted and followed wholeheartedly, even when I doubted, even when I was upset. And it makes me unafraid to stand out in the crowd now. Makes me unafraid to be consistent in those faithful acts, those consistent acts that everyone else has given up on. Here's what the Bible says about this point. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. May our fear of God be greater than our fear of man. May we be more concerned with obeying God than our fear of man. I'm so glad that Noah believed that. Because if Noah didn't believe that, you and I aren't here. I'm so thankful he believed that. So don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. Also, don't be afraid to do something for the first time. Chances are God is going to ask you to do something you've never done before. Or maybe that no one has ever done before. Maybe no one in your family has ever done what he's asking you to do. In Hebrews chapter 11, where it mentions Noah, it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let me just have your heart for a second. And I believe that God has been whispering things to you or nudging you in a certain direction And I just want to highlight today some of the things that he might be saying to you. Don't quit. Step up. Apologize now. Get help. Get out. That unhealthy relationship, that flirtation, that fantasy that addiction, get out. Slow down. Call them. Be the first one to forgive. Talk to them. That thing you know you've got to do, do it today. To be a difference maker, you have got to be more concerned with obeying God than looking foolish. To be a difference maker, you've got to remember your attitude matters. 
The last part of the Noah story, when the waters receded, God gives this covenant sign about this promise, and the condition of the earth is obviously changed, and now there's rainbows. And God says, when you see a rainbow, that was me. It may sound corny, but when you see a rainbow, remember that one person can make a difference. It's a reminder that when you have those days you feel like you're alone, God says, I'm there with you. Jesus' parting words were, be sure of this, I'm with you, always, even to the end of the age. It's a promise. So I told you earlier that there's two references to Noah in the New Testament. Both Peter and Jesus say it's the best picture of what the end times are going to look like. I'll read this verse before we pray. Peter says, by these waters, talking about the flood, also the the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word... So just like God said, let's make it rain, he's going to have the same word again, although he promised it wouldn't be water again. But by the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's going to do it. It seems like he's being slow. It's been almost 2,000 years since Peter wrote this. But he's not being slow, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't God come yet? Because he wants more people to be saved. And if you've been saved, he's waiting for you to make a difference. Let's pray together. God, I pray that Rockbrook Church would have the courage and faith found in Noah. I pray that we'd do it, that we'd stand out, that we'd make a difference that we'd live for God, and that we would not give up on these consistent acts of faithfulness that everyone else is giving up on. Some of you might even say today, I don't even know God, and I don't even know if I would find favor with God. Well, you get God's favor not by what you've done, but by what Jesus did. And you can have God's favor today by letting Jesus save you and cleanse you from your sins and then have the unconditional favor of God on your life. And today you need to receive that. And the only way you receive God's favor is by you're surrendering your life to Jesus today. And I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if that's you in your mind and heart, just say to God, me too, God. God, forgive me. I've gone my own way without you. I've disregarded you. But today I come back home and I come to you and I receive what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I receive forgiveness. I receive favor. I'm going to live my life for you with everything. I make Jesus my Lord and with all of my heart, I want to make a difference for you, God. And everyone, Rockbrook, would you just whisper in your seat, I want to be a difference maker. God, I want to be a difference maker. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.